Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're done with your Oreo? <laughs> yeah, I'm done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, Do we really know what happened to the brother did. The brother. That's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I stream murdery thingy thingy Okay. Okay. You're gonna jump right in. Yes. Welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. Welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. My name is Chloe. My name is Mario. And welcome back. Welcome um, to 2020. Long First time episode no talk. of the year. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, it's, the it's year fine. hit us. The first, the first oh year hit us way harder than. I just, one real short. I was just listening to the Five Thirty Eight Politics podcast, and all of them are also sick. Ah! And they did a shorter, shorter episode because they were like, Ugh. and Nate Silver, he was like, oh my god, he, he was like, he sounded like <laughs> Bernie Sanders, is what he said. So anyway, we've been sick and we're back, and we might cough because we're still kind of sick. But here we go. Uh, who's going to go first? I want to go first. Go, first. go I want to go first. Because and Max the Cat is also here. Max running around. Yes. Um, I want to address this classic mystery. Um, and that one day, Agatha Christie disappeared for a week. And, like, no one knew where she was nor why. Um, and... You and I talked about this. I kind of, mm-hmm. both of us didn't know for sure if, like, did Agatha Christie, like, straight up disappear, period? Right. Or what's going on there? And, I, and then I was like, I read on Wikipedia that she died of, like, natural causes. I think it was cancer, lung. It was something. Yeah. Her death is not mysterious. Not mysterious yeah. at all. Uh, so I was like, what's going on with this disappearance? Because I know there was a th- something that was a thing because right. I so I watched the episode of Drunk History on it and great, I great read three articles yeah um I love Drunk History we I know stand. it's good it's good okay so a little bit of backstory so she was 36 years old at the time and already a success. She had come out with two novels, uh, one, The Secret Adversary, and the other, The Murder on the Lynx. So that was the two that were 
in circulation at the moment. Agatha and her husband, Colonel Art... Okay, is it Archibald or Archibald? Archibald. Archibald. Yeah. Uh, Colonel Archibald Christie were having some rough times. Their relationship wasn't the best. Um, Pretty rocky. And it was in April of 1926 that her mother died, and she took Mm. it really hard. And it was also in April of 1926 that her asshole of a husband comes back from a business trip and was like, surprise, I'm cheating on you. Oh, my God. she, he said that he fell in love with this, like, random woman named Nancy Neal. And so, obviously, she was devastated. But she, they did stay together because they had a daughter. Mm. So they stayed together for their daughter's sake. Um, they eventually moved to Sunningdale, England, by December of 1926. And on December 3rd, it was reported that her and her husband got into an argument. And that night, she drove off. Later that night, it was reported that, quote, Mrs. Christie packed an attache case with clothing and went out alone in a two-seater automobile, leaving a note for her secretary saying that she would not return that night, end quote. The next day, her car was discovered abandoned on the edge of a chalk pit slash like a a quarry Mm -hmm. um, pit thing. Dangerous is, is the point. Near the city of Guildford, England. The only thing preventing it from falling in there, it was like on, it was found like on the edge. The only thing preventing it from falling in there was a thick hedge that got stuck in the wheels. And the only things found in the car were articles of clothing and various papers that were in that case. Um, December 6th, uh, the next day was when the news of her disappearance displayed on the front page of the New York Times. Okay. So this was huge. Agatha Christie was Mm -hmm. very, very famous. And, um, This story was plastered all over the place and it really went, I was about to say viral, but, um, (laughs) in the context of that time, in the context of that time, correct. In the newspapers. Yeah. Her husband, her husband blobbed on and on saying that she was having a mental breakdown and she was crazy. And it's clearly hysteria. Yeah. It's. I got that vibe a lot (laughs) from like reading these and that people still dismiss it as that kind of stuff today, but we don't know. Uh, It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Authorities searched for her exhaustively until December 8th when her brother-in-law reported that, quote, he had received a letter written since her disappearance in which the novelist said she had been in ill health and was going going to a Yorkshire spa for rest and treatment, end quote. However, the police were like, uh, yeah, we're not buying that. And they ended up expanding their search, but they still came up empty. So actually, I think the number was like 15,000 volunteers over the course of uh, four to like 10, nine, nine days. <laughs> Math. Um we're, we're searching for her. Over 500 police officers aided by airplanes searched the area uh-huh. from where her car was found. They even got her own dog to the scene to see if he could catch her scent, but that mm. didn't work either. Quote, he whined pitifully, pitifully and went about with his nose to the ground. The colonel and a police superintendent followed eagerly, but after three hours gave up the search. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. The dog had no idea what <laughs> Exactly. I feel bad for that We're dog. going for a walk? <laughs> right. Exactly. With the only trace of at her for at that point, the only trace of her was was her car on the edge mm-hmm. of a pit. Mm-hmm. So at that point, they began to think suicide Ominous. or 
foul play. Sure. Another interesting detail I would like to note, and we're going to get a little ghosty in here, okay. was that Mrs. Christie was spooked by her supposedly haunted house. Mm. Um, quote, if I do not leave Sunningdale soon, Sunningdale will be the end of me. Um, was the quote she said to her friend. So one of the other theories that was thrown out there was she was like possessed or haunted or some shit. Can I just say that this would make a perfect Doctor Who episode? That's what she was doing. She oh. wasn't in any of those places. She was in the TARDIS and off on some other planet. Oh my God, and stop. <laughs> I'm just saying. I've, I've been binging Doctor Who for months, literally, so my head space is There's, there. like, some, like, ancient alien her, in her house that, like, they have to fight. It, it, it's, it writes, it literally writes itself. Wow, amazing. Um, one week later, she's still missing. The only clues were three letters that she left behind, one to her secretary, one to her brother-in-law, and another to her husband. So the first letter to her secretary was given to police. Um, One line in particular saying, quote, I must get away. I cannot stay in here. I cannot stay here in Sunningdale much longer, end quote. The other to her brother-in-law was destroyed, and her husband uh, refused to tell the press what the letter that he got, the one that was addressed to him. He didn't talk about it. He was like, it's personal. Um, at this point, even more rumors start to surface, right? So some thought it was a, pu- a huge pu- publicity stunt, which her secretary denied. However, in the end, once she <laughs> was found, her book sales went through the roof. So, I mean, regardless of what it was. Would you admit it if it were? I, mm, I mean... I mean, I would I admit know. it if it worked. But it probably would have come out over the years. If right. Re- if that really were the story. Right. Um, others thought that it was suicide and that she was dead and some amateur sleuths thought that she it had been met with foul play so police at one point even speculated that she was in disguise like dressed as a man walking around london rumor had it that she even left behind a sealed envelope that was only supposed to be opened like if her body was found like in the event of my death um but there's no evidence of any of that <laughs> uh december 13th the new york times reports how her husband the colonel Bo- believes that she's still alive. December 15th, a couple days later, Agatha Christie is found alive and well. It's weird, because... And uh, this is an Occam razor situation, Occam's razor situation, Mm -hmm. in that she was where she said she would be. She checked into um, uh, a spa uh, in Harrogate in uh, Yorkshire, England, under the name Teresa Neal. Neil. Okay. Uh, Archibald later claimed that his wife had been suffering from memory loss and that she had no idea why she was there in the hotel or why she signed in under the name Neil. He insisted that he had no idea where the name came from. And it wasn't revealed until years later that that it was the name of his girlfriend, Nancy. Nancy Neil. The father of Nancy Neil even commented, feigning innocence, but like, or maybe he actually didn't know. I mean, we don't know. Um, he said in New York Times, quote, I cannot hazard any theory why Mrs. Christie should have used my family's name. My daughter, Nancy, is naturally upset about it, and so are we all. There is not the slightest reason for associating Nancy with the disappearance of Mrs. Christie, end quote. Okay. I know. And it wasn't until a couple years later, March 17th, 1938, 28, was when... Agatha Christie sued her husband for divorce. Now, the worst was sued her husband. Can you do that? 
for like sue somebody for divorcing you or do they mean that they just got divorced and that no, was the you're, wording you're that they used? No, you're suing the court to al- allow you to divorce the person. Okay. It's essentially saying she divorced him. Okay. She sued for divorce. I was confused by that. I was like, if you divorce, if we get divorced, do I go back and like sue you because I'm like mad or like... So you know like the movie Kramer versus Kramer? Yes. The reason... The reason it's Kramer versus Kramer is because it's it's a suit. You know, it's it's a court suit where you dispute how you're going to divide the assets. Oh, if you have children, what okay, are the custody right, rights right. going to be? So it, it has to get litigated in court. Um, but otherwise, it's just, it's just the act of getting divorced is what it, that's just like the technical name for it. Technical. Um, two years after that, she remarried, but so did the colonel. He remarried to no one other than Nancy Neal. Well, and that at that point she's not Nancy Neal anymore, so you know, no association. Whatever. Fine. So, there are a few main theories here. Memory loss. So it is known today that severe emotional stress can cause short-term memory lapses, things like retrograde amnesia or anterograde amnesia, which is. Um, retrograde amnesia is, is losing the memory of recent events and anterograde is the opposite when you're unable to store new memories, Mm. uh, create new memories. However, people still maintain knowledge of who they are when that happens. So it's unlikely that that is what she suffered from. If that was, if that was, you know, we don't even know her husband kind of spoke for her at that point. Um, in the New York times article, and you know, the New York times been around since, you know, early, uh, 20th century or so. Yeah, 1840s or Well, something? they quoted themselves in this more modern article, uh-huh. and they had snippets of, like, what was actually said uh-huh. um, at the time. Um, but that's what th- that was what they talked about. He, Archibald was like, yeah, she has no idea why she's there, and, like, I don't know what that name is, and this, then, the other thing. Um, but with that type of... If she did have that type of amnesia... She wouldn't have been, like, walking around totally clueless, like, not knowing who she was. Um, and there was a, a writing in 2003 in Practical Neurology, psychologist Myria Pujol and Michael Kopelman, um, and they're both psychologists at King's College in London, they talked about that Christy may have experienced a psychogenic amnesia secondary to trauma, and that can last anywhere from a few hours to a few months. Um, and that affects memories of events that occurred immediately after a traumatic experience. But complete amnesia is still pretty rare, like how it's portrayed in movies and stuff. Sure. It's very different than how it actually is in in real life, it's mm-hmm. pretty rare for you to like hit your head and then all of a sudden be totally clueless yeah. um, about who you are and where you're at and your situation and stuff like that. Um, quote, Agatha Christie could have suffered from a dissociative fugue or state of psychological flight. Persons with this disorder exhibit all the symptoms of dissociative amnesia. Additionally, a person suffering from this disorder may seek to move well beyond his or her usual sphere of travel. And although the individual may suffer amnesia during a fugue state, behavior may seem completely normal to outsiders. End mm-hmm. quote. And that's from Scientific American. Uh, the next theory was revenge question mark and i kind of like this one the best Mm. in that um the author of the mystery of agatha christie by gwen robbins she believes that 
that Agatha Christie left intentionally. And so she, she knew about her husband's infidelity for a little bit. Sure. Um, at this point, but it's still possible that she wanted to seek some kind of revenge and have in like way of separation and cause him some type of emotional distress. Maybe he wanted to cause the, she wanted to cause the affair between him and Neil Mm -hmm. to be like really painful and stressful perhaps. Um, or it was a failed suicide. So I read an article in the guardian detailed, uh, detailed the theory formed by writer Andrew Wilson. Um, Basically saying that she tried to commit suicide over her husband's affair, hence the car being found on the edge of the quarry. However, she came to the conclusion, you know, one way or another, that suicide wasn't the answer. This wasn't the right thing to do. Um, Happens to a lot of people. Yeah. And anyone who's attempted suicide and survived says they immediately regret it if they think they will die. Yep. And if you or anyone you know is suffering, call the hotline. Call call the lifeline. 100%. Yes. Um, so, you know, she checked into a hotel, in a hotel to relax and sort out her thoughts. And it wasn't until she was found nine days later that she went with the story of memory, memory loss, Mm -hmm. or maybe a bit of both theories in that she tried to commit suicide, crashed a car, hit her head pretty hard, and then had a bout of amnesia, question mark, maybe? Um, but Basically the plot of Mulholland Drive. Yes. I don't know what that is. It's a David Lynch movie. Okay. That's it's basically the plot of Mulholland Drive. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, but basically that. That's it. Mm. That's my story. So first of all, New York Times, eighteen fifty one, founded. Just okay. To answer that question. Okay. And um, I think probably the one I think is most likely is that she did it intentionally, and that that she knowingly left and just got out of town, and a combination of. The stress of losing her mother just caused her to intentionally want to disappear for a while. Mm -hmm. And she chose to do so. And then she chose to reappear and not explain why, which is completely her right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, It was a really big thing. I wanted to do something kind of short and sweet um, this episode. And, you know, everybody loves Agatha Christie and she's such a star. Um, But this was like a huge... Thing when it mm-hmm. happened, like um, people really freaked out, and there were like amateur sleuths and like psychics who were like, "Oh, she was murdered, met with foul play," and it's like that wasn't the case at right. all. And it just, yeah, it's something that would seem to happen in an Agatha Christie novel, exactly, so exactly, sort of redounds to that yeah. as well. So, but, yeah, like cool. I said, her novel sales went went up. Good for her. And my, obviously she went on to greater and greater success. So. My sources are, is my, one of my main sources, the New York Times article, mm-hmm. When the World's Most Famous Mystery Writer Vanished by Tina Jordan, Scientific American article by Steph, Stefania De Vito and Sergio De Asala. And I really like that one because they really dove into like amnesia and how mm-hmm. it works and like the psychological effects and how like they applied it to that situation, how likely it would be. Yeah. And um, an article in the telegraph in the Telegraph by Camilla Turner. Cool. And that's it. Sounds good. That's okay. It. That's all, folks. So that's all we got. It's your turn, and Junior. For you. Now it's my turn. Um, so I am going to talk a little um, art history. Um, you know, re- Renaissance history today, sort of as a a little bit of a hint. Um, 
and context for what I'm going to talk about next week. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, you can you can figure it out. Do some googling. So I'm going to talk about the mysterious life and death of the artist called Masaccio, or known as Masaccio, because he wasn't born as Masaccio. But Masaccio? Also, it sort of sounds sounds like Mustachio, but it's not that. It's Masaccio. I, I don't speak Italian, so I could probably butchering it. But he was born as Tommaso di Ser Giovanni di Simone. Oh. And he was born on December 21st of 1401. The solstice. The, uh, oh, 1401. The, okay, oh, yeah, so this is some, like, yes, really yes. His, his early history. renaissance. Early in fact, we'll talk about how he essentially was sort of the spark for the renaissance, in a sense. What a guy. Yeah, and, and he's... In fact, probably the most influential artist that you've never really heard of, right? We've heard of, you know, Raphael and Donatello and the rest of the Ninja mm -hmm. Turtles, right? He didn't get to be a Ninja Turtle. Um, <laughs> and he's not as well known as some of the later masters, but he, he's sort of seminal in a way. And he did all of that, and he only lived to 26. Oh, didn't even join sad. the 27 Club. Didn't make it to, the, wow. to his birthday on, on that final year. Um, but like I said, some people consider him to be sort of the catalyst for, you know, not only the Renaissance in Italian painting, you know, at the beginning of the 15th century, but also what would stem from that, which is the wider Renaissance throughout all of Europe and the wider world and sort of this, you know, setting up of the modern um, state of Europe, right, in, in, a, in a way, from an artistic perspective. Um, but... Very little is actually known about his life, and as we'll talk about, almost nothing is really known about his death. But there are obviously, just like with the Agatha Christie thing, a lot of rumors and, and yep. stuff. Uh, people people like to talk. So um, what is, though, known about Masaccio, or, or Tommaso as he was then known, was that he was born in Tuscany. For some reason, his date of birth is very particularized, December 21st of 1401. Um, and he was sort of born into this middle-class family. So according to Wikipedia, quote, his father was a notary and his mother was the daughter of an innkeeper, close quote. So sort of middle-class. And um, tragedy, though, struck early in Tommaso's life when his father died when he was only five years old. Uh -huh. um, and about, I think, six years later, his mother remarried to an apothecary, which which is an interesting old-timey thing thing that we don't do anymore and now we call them pharmacists mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh it's a little bit different but this was the 15th century um so um apparently as Tommaso grew he he was uh, apparently a little bit moody kind of a withdrawn teen um in modern parlance you might call him a little bit emo you know okay. he's he's that he he always had that artistic kind of emo, <laughs> yeah kind of thing angry um, at the world well one of the, it's funny one of the articles that i read did explicitly compare him to kurt cobain so okay. i mean the grunge comparison you know you and the writer at the guardian are thinking yeah. similar lines so good for you um so and good for him too and um it was also said according to simon goddard at the guardian uh that masaccio was quote so preoccupied with drawing that his bedraggled appearance became local legend. The affectionate nickname Masaccio, the 15th century Tuscan equivalent of Scuffy Git. Close quote. Which is a, an English phrase that we don't use in America necessarily. Um, I, yeah, a Scuffy Git, which, but, but it's great. I love it. 
Um, so while this, you know, definitely points to a sort of artistic bent, like I said, for Masaccio that he perhaps sort of always had, none of this would really suggest that he would in just a few short years rocket to, you know, fame and, uh, to become the sort of seminal artist that he became. Um, because one of the most mysterious aspects of, um, Masaccio's life is how, where and how he learned to, like, draw and paint, like, especially as well as he did. Like, literally, there's no known record of him ever having had an artistic apprenticeship, which was the norm at the time. Um, if you wanted to do this, right? Well, we we just don't know. It could be oh. that he was... I like to believe you know, he's a prodigy. That he, yeah, that he just sort of was in, endowed by his creator, right? Um, whatever you want to say, you know, with this ability, or maybe we just don't know with whom he learned how to do this. Another theory is that he may have, um, uh, apprenticed as a draftsman What's and, that? um, like, um, uh, to make plans and stuff like architectural plans. Okay. Um, but, and maps and things like that, but, um, that he then was more interested in doing art and just, you know, pivoted over to that. But never like studying under a master necessarily, so we we don't we don't really know. Um, but there are people that that art historians point to and say, well, maybe it was this person, maybe it was this person, based on his style. And it's also not really certain where Masaccio first began to paint or paint professionally, but um, he sort of shows up in the history books uh, in a sense um, by signing his name into the roles of the Painters Guild in Florence. Um, again, hint as to what I'm going to be doing next week, Florence. Um, <laughs> in the Arte de Medici e Speciale, um, the, the art guild there in, in Florence. So by the time he signed his name on January 7th, 1422, right, at the age of 21, Masaccio had already, um, 20 in fact, Masaccio had already become a independent master, so at this Ooh. point, he was set up on his own. He wasn't studying. He was he was graduated and out there making money uh, with his work. It's hard. Yeah, um, it's it's sort of crazy. I mean, to me, it almost sounds like uh, like an NBA star, right? Okay, yeah. Well, you you, you skip college, you know, <laughs> you just went straight for the pros, right? Because um, he was that good. He had honed his craft and was already being sought after for commissions, you know, from Italian nobles and 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 whomever. And another sort of mysterious aspect of Masaccio's career is his relationship with this other guy, his frequent collaborator, at least for some of his career, um, named Masolino de Pinacle. Um, and while Masolino was older, it's not it, it's sort of not thought, I guess, by art historians that he was the teacher or mentor or whatever, that he, he wasn't the one who made Masaccio. Masaccio came fully formed and they were sort of partners, even though Masolino was 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 older and sort of naturally would have fill, fulfilled that uh, that role. Um, to me, it almost sounds like the relationship between um, Basquiat. Right. Mm -hmm. And. Um, God, I can't think of things when I try to. The 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 older artist, pop, famous pop artist that I can't think of right now, who's super famous and obvious, Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. um, sort of sounds maybe it was like a little bit like that. But what, what were you gonna say? 
I thought you were going to start telling me how Mustachio is like an LGBTQ icon and like. <laughs> no, no. And hey, we, we have no idea. So why not put that on it too? Somebody should make a, make I a movie. I thought you were going to like start talking about how they were possibly lovers. Somebody should like... make a movie where he and, and um, Br- Brunelleschi or whatever his name is are, are like secret lovers. Oh, I love That'd it. be great. That'd be I'm great. In. Um, but you know, at, for obviously that and and all of these things, there's not really any documentary evidence necessarily to point one way or the other. Right. We just don't literally don't know that much about what he was doing or what was going on, other than his work and little hints. But um, another thing that sort of points to the fact that he that the Masolino was probably not his like master or whatever was the con- strongly contrasting styles in the the paintings and frescoes that they did together. Um, in other words, you can tell the parts that Masolino did and the parts that our boy Masaccio did. Be- and okay. partly because Masaccio's um, style is actually much more interesting and mature than Masolino's, despite the, the more advanced age of, of, uh, of the latter. Um, again, Mas- Masaccio was already a master. And... Um, let's talk just a little bit about what, why is he a master? What did he do? Why is he so great? Why, why are we, we talking about him in this sense? Um, to put it really simply, essentially a Masaccio is credited with introducing the idea of perspective into the mainstream of Western painting, Italian painting, and then moved on from there um, in the Renaissance. He's also credited with being one of the first to use what's called a vanishing point, so it, it's okay. Where, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, where where everything comes together. Yep. The the archetypal um, example, of course, is the the road, right? Thinning as it sort of is painted into the background to give the illusion that it's vanishing into the distance. But that was it, him. He like kind of. Well, he was he was one of the first, and okay. he uh, that along with other things that he did sort of popularized a style where that later on in the Renaissance simply became de rigueur. Right, you had to do it. Um, before that, almost no one did it. Everything was very flat, right, and unnatural. Um, Masaccio is credited with introducing that sense of naturality and therefore a sort of humanism in, into his paintings by depicting people and objects more as they actually are in real life and therefore imparting more importance to real life as opposed to before it was thought that would that was sort of sinful in a way, right? We're we're sort of getting past some of those things a little bit by by the start of the fifteenth century, at least in Florence, I guess. Um, so, um, yeah, ba- basically, um, he he sort of started to reform. Oh, okay, yeah, a good example of this. If you want to look at, go to Google right now. Google Images, type something in. So. Um, the painting Trinity with the Virgin, St. John the Evangelist, and donors, or it's sometimes just called Holy Trinity, um, by Masaccio. It was painted sometime between 1426 and 1428. And literally, when I first looked at this, um, I thought that it was a, literally a sculpture because yeah. the perspective and the proportions are so convincing, and he does it so well. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, it, it really is. Like, I would, if you can, go and, like, look at look at this uh, piece. Um and, and it's, you know, to me, it's cer- certainly a masterwork. Um, so, you know, we obviously are seeing it with uh, sort of jaundiced eyes as well, right? Imagine seeing this at the time um, next to a bunch of flat, unrealistic paintings. You oh, know, yeah. you, you can get a sense of why. It would have been very awe-inspiring. Yeah. 
Exactly. Because it's all, it, like you're saying, it's all, it is very realistic. And it's very, um... Uh, Affecting. Yes. A tri- it's a tribute. It's a mm-hmm. very well done tribute. Yeah. To the Holy Trinity. It is. It's 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 very appropriate, um, but very interesting as well. So um, there was also this uh, relationship with um, Brunelleschi, right? Where this is, you know, th- some of the mystery is also okay. How did he do this? Why did he do this? Where did he get this idea from? We don't really know. But um, he was friends with these guys, Brunelleschi and Donatello. Brunelleschi being an architect, Donatello being a sculptor. And maybe he sort of took the techniques from them and applied that to painting and therefore was able to create this sort of more sculptural architectural aspect. Um, and maybe that's what sparked it and, and gave him the ability, um, know how to, to really do that. And undoubtedly another sort of, you know, point that, that created Masaccio as he became was his, um, going to Rome in 1423. He, would have been able to see, you know, both the most modern works of fresco, painting, sculpture, architecture, you know, in um, in a lot of the modern world at that time. Um, but, you know, a lot of the works of the ancients as well, Greeks and Romans, and people say that they can see that influence in his works uh, after that point as well. Did he ever do sculptures? Um, not that I ever heard of. I th- the only extant pieces we have of his are frescoes, okay. and I think he ma- he mainly did frescoes i believe after a certain point that was where the money was um i'm not that he, that was necessarily what he wanted to do maybe he wanted to do sculpture um maybe that's another reason why he did it you know um like i said he was good friends with donatello um so you know um yeah he he sort of learned you know got this influence from rome and then he he funneled those influences and of course his own unique idiom you know into that into that style and this is why he's important so you know just to kind of a- a- answer that question and as his career as masaccio's career sort of reached its zenith right as he was unfortunately approaching his untimely end um there were signs that things started to go kind of awry or there was a disarray generally in the signs that we have. Masaccio and Masolino were, for example, working on a major commission of frescoes at the Brancacci Chapel beginning in 1424, but mysteriously, um, Masolino, um, the older one, left um, to go to, like, Hungary or something, but no one knows why. Um, was it money troubles? Were they fighting? Was there some kind of artistic difference So he straight them? up left? It wasn't like he left on a trip? planning to come back or he left like he moved or we don't know abrupt okay it's not entirely clear but it seems like it wasn't just like a a planned trip but it's sort of obscure right like a lot of this stuff um you know there were also possible financial issues with their patron that they were working for at that time so you know people didn't know if he may maybe had to go somewhere else to like just to make more money i don't know um but there very well could have also been some kind of artistic issues. Because like I said, Mussolino's style and Masaccio's style weren't necessarily that compatible. Even though they did all these works together. Mm-hmm. With that in and of itself is kind of a mystery to me. Like, why did they continue to work together all this time? I don't know. Um, all of it remains very much mysterious. Um, Masaccio also left off those chapel frescoes in 1426 for unknown reasons, maybe financial. But despite these sort of career machinations, Masaccio, in the penultimate year of his life, 
um, won yet another prestigious commission for the aforementioned Holy Trinity that, that we were goggling over, mm. um, which was for the Santa Maria Novella Dominican Church in, in Florence, um, Dominican uh, sect of Catholicism. Apparently, um, one can still see actually some of the preparation work that Masaccio did for this painting, like where he literally um, put a nail in where the vanishing point was going to be. And then use string to like map out and sort of gridded it out. And again, you see this technique mirrored later on in the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Literally, painters would go and look at this and say, oh, this is how he did it. And then they would do it. So we talk about his, you know, um, he had that kind of direct influence on what came later. And um, this is sort of, you know, the lasting. Um, legacy that 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 he left but there's also a lasting mystery that uh, we just don't really know a lot of what works are actually his um at least in part that's very mysterious people debate over it right because it wasn't like later on when you know painters would sign their name and everything you know it wasn't like that um you just kind of had to have to figure it out to some extent be an art historian i don't know um, that would be cool. I love art history, but, um, not that I know it that well, but anyway, so, um, apparently there are four, like I said, extant frescoes that we like positively know are his. A lot of others fall into sort of the maybe category, but in any case, after Masaccio had completed that, you know, the famous Holy Trinity, he returned to Rome and that would be the last trip he would ever take in his life. It was there sometime in 1428. We really don't know even exactly when, um, that Masaccio died, somehow. We have no idea. Like, there's no record. It's it's just a complete cipher. Do we know the day of death? No. We, have, we don't even know when in 1428 it happened. But we other know... than it was before his birthday. But that was December 21st, so it's like the last week weeks of the year. So I'm not really sure. Was... Okay, keep going. But there's a popular myth, of course... That he was killed, okay. that it was foul play, that it was murder, and that he was in fact poisoned by most likely a rival painter, jealous of his fame and whatever. But that's pure speculation. I mean, he's so young. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, it would seem to suggest, right, that his death was somehow unnatural, right? Because he did die at 26. People don't usually die at 26 even in 1401. Um, so, yeah, it's probably some kind of unnatural cause. But so who's, did, they, who's like, to say? did somebody, like, find his body, or did... I'm saying there's not any of that information. Wow. It was just, was just not out there. And people make a point to say that it doesn't exist in the sources that I read. Okay, okay. So it's, that's, it's just, like, pure mystery. We have to embrace the mystery in this... Maybe it'll get solved. I don't know. Maybe some piece of <laughs> evidence will arise, you know, hundreds of years later. But uh, it's pretty cold case at this point. Um, but, you know, yeah, not really any evidence one way or the other. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all that we know and, and all that I've got to talk about, uh, about Masaccio. But I'm going to give the last word to Masaccio's friend, uh, Brunelleschi, who said... Um, quote, we have suffered a great loss, close quote, uh. upon Masaccio's passing, So, mm. which, which undoubtedly is true. 
So my sources are Simon Goddard at The Guardian, Naomi Blumberg at Encyclopedia Britannica, Kathy Hansen at Historical Research Update, and of course, Wikipedia. Good job. Yes, thank you. Um, so yes, we we are good little mini episode. We are back with a, a little primer episode. Thanks for listening. We're going deep. Next ne- next next episode is going to be a lot more extensive. Ooh, I'm excited. And um, I have to figure out exact. I- I'm going to tell a complex story. I don't know exactly. I well, you know what you're doing. I don't know exactly yes. what I'm doing, but I was browsing today, and I was like. I have a lot of possibilities. Lots good, of good. Uh, I have a lot of missing person cases. Mm-hmm. But um do you have weird shit in the news because um, I have I weird shit in the news. Have some weird, weird shit in the news. Um, do you want to go first or me? Okay, go. So this is from cake.com, cake with a k. And it's taken cake from always actually, has a K. It's taken actually from the Associated Press. <laughs> you mean K-A-K-E? Yes. Okay. But it's taken from AP. It's taken from the Associated Press. Oh, okay, but it's okay, posted okay. on the, It's funny how that works. Yeah. Anyway, the title is Kansas Man Requests Trial by Combat with Swords to Settle Custody Battle with Ex-Wife. I saw this headline. Amazing, right? Well, weird. Um, <laughs> Not good, just to be clear. <laughs> his name's David Ostrom of Paula, Kansas. And in a court filing... Uh, he said that him and his his wife Bridget Ostrom and her attorney Matthew Hudson had quote destroyed him legally end quote and um, yeah so it's a custody battle visitation property tax payments and like we were talking about divorce right um, quote he wanted to resolve our disputes on the field of battle legally. Um, and he also asked the judge for 12 weeks time so he could secure Japanese samurai swords. <laughs> Takes a while. Shipping. Uh, you know, but, um, secure the funding. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. And of course they're like, quote, until the proper procedural steps to initiate a court proceeding are followed, this court will take no further action concerning any motion, objection, or petition filed by either party at this time. So they're like, cut the bullshit. Let's all right. All, let's all take a cooling off Cut period. Cut the bullshit, David. We'll stop talking about ninja swords. Please. This is serious. We're adults. Right. Um, that's cray cray in a bad way. I just want to say that. Okay. Can I just say that one thing? Yep. Also, I have some weird shit in the news. And it is um, this persistent story that we've been seeing, right? About the drones, right? The mystery oh, drones. Yeah. The fleets of mystery drones, and they're in, in Colorado, Colorado uh-huh. and now they're in Wyoming. <gasps> I didn't know there were more. Well, here's the thing. Uh- a lot of these apparently are not mystery drones because they've been looked into, and they're like natural phenomena, or they're drones that are owned by hobbyists or other people. And um, this guy in, in Wyoming also thinks that, hey, maybe the government or you know, Northrop Grumman or Boeing or whomever, right, is secretly flying drones, or maybe it's not secret to the Air Force or the government, but maybe it's secret to us. Lots of different theories, but clearly there are some drones that people on the ground don't know what they are, and people have questions. And I think they may or may not get an answer. What is natural phenomena? What would that... Like, consist of. Um, Sure. You see, um, you know, uh, a shooting star, and you think it's an alien. 
that kind of thing. Oh. You know, you see um, literally um, light coming off of, um, bouncing off of gas in the upper atmosphere, and you think it's some kind of UFO. That stuff happens all the time, actually. Um, and it's very mysterious, but I think we're pretty much done, aren't we? I feel like we're, we're <laughs> running out of steam. Running out of steam um, here. But we love you guys. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for waiting a month for new Thanks episodes. For, it was the holidays, and you know, we're not the only ones who did a little holiday hiatus. But it's true. thank you for listening, and thank you for... Um, yes. Uh, understanding our little lo-fi podcast. And we, you know, we do this for fun. We, we do it purely <laughs> because we love mysteries and we love talking about them. And, uh, we got a new cat. His name's Mac. If Check you, him out. If you have been following our Twitter page, you would already Follow know that. Follow us on Insta. Follow us um, on Instagram, Facebook, what's Twitter. Mystery, what's our Twitter again? Murdery Thingy? Yep. Murdery Thingy. And you can follow my Twitter at MarioTech30. And you can follow our Instagram page at Mystery Murdery Thingy. And... And that's our episode. And that's the episode. Peace out, Girl Scout. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.